Welcome to the smartest doctor in the room with your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell, interviewing the leading doctors in the country to get insights into the best medical treatments available today. Not everyone has access to the best specialists, but you can advocate for yourself and learn the right questions to ask your doctor and the best possible treatment options. Remember, what you know can make a difference in your healthcare. Welcome to The Smartest Doctor in the Room. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell. My guest today is Dr. Dean Ornish, the best-selling author of Reversing Heart Disease, Eat More, Way Less, Love and Survival, and actually now his most recent book coming out in paperback with his wife, Ann Ornish, is Undo It. Dr. Dean Ornish has been an incredible influence in my career. I have to take everybody back to 1994. It's a, it seems like a long time ago. But I remember seeing him on the cover of the New York Times Magazine section. And there was a really interesting article at the time that discussed his lifestyle program that was medically proven to reverse heart disease without drugs or surgery, which was pretty outstanding. And what was even more outstanding is that he got an insurance company, I think it was Mutual of Omaha, to cover it, which was unheard of. And that whole idea that you could reverse heart disease, not just prevent it, was really groundbreaking. And the basis of it was a vegetarian diet, exercise, and stress reduction techniques. So I have to comment, that again, why Dr. Ornish was so influential in my life. So when I saw this came out, I did a little bit of a crazy thing. I was at in practice about three or four years out of my fellowship and residency. And I flew out to Claremont, California with my wife, who's also a physician, Dr. Ricky, who was six months pregnant with our second son on the way. My, my parents thought I was nuts. And we actually went to Dr. Ornish's program to go through the program ourselves to see what it was like. I mean, at the time, I was a young doctor. I was 34 years old. I didn't have a heart condition, but I thought it's never too late to start. And I actually went through the program that whole week. They served delicious vegetarian meals. They had morning lectures with Dr. Ornish on his latest research. And I was really being exposed to really for the first time meditation and yoga, which I found to have a tremendous influence on the rest of my life. I think to really appreciate what Dr. Dean Orsch did at the time was he was really one of the true pioneers if what we say in holistic medicine, in that learning that we can use natural techniques to actually affect the health of our lives. So I am beyond excited to actually introduce Dr. Dean Ornish to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here. So Dr. Ornish, what I usually like to start with guests, and I thought about this a lot because I know your background from reading your book and again, being out at your program many years ago. I know you did training at Harvard with Dr. Alexander Leaf, who was the big omega-3 researcher on heart disease. And also you're influenced by Eastern teachings from Swami Sashahandi. But I'm just curious, why what got you interested in the natural approach to heart disease versus, I don't know, whether it was anti-aging or depression? I mean, there's obviously a lot of ways you could have gone with this. Was there anything that particularly made you focus on the heart? Sure. Well, let me say I'm glad to be on the show. And of course, anyone named Dean has to be a cool guy. So it's great to have you have a <laughs> Dean show. I got interested in doing this because of my own pain when I was freshman in college back in 1973 and came about as close to committing suicide as one could do without actually doing it. Right. There are a lot of reasons for that, which we can talk about in more detail. But for me, that was my doorway into learning how these techniques could be so beneficial in my own life. I studied with an ecumenical spiritual teacher named Swami Satchidananda. 
And he uh, basically said, if you do these things, eat a plant-based diet, meditate, exercise, uh, love more, that it can quiet down your mind enough to experience more of an inner sense of peace and joy and well-being, which I found actually was true. And it really changed my whole life. And then later when I went to medical school at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, I was learning how to do bypass surgery with Dr. Michael DeBakey, the yeah, uh, heart goodness. surgeon who basically invented bypass surgery. And, you know, we cut people open, we bypass their clogged arteries, he'd tell them they were cured. And more often than not, they would go home and do all the things that had caused the problem in the first place, you know, eat junk food, smoke cigarettes, not manage stress, not exercise, and so on. And all too often, the new bypasses would clog up and we'd cut them open again, sometimes bypassing the bypass. And so for me, that became a metaphor of an incomplete approach. So we're literally bypassing the problem without also treating the cause. Now, drugs and surgery properly used can, in a crisis can be life-saving. But if that's all we do, it's a little like, you know, I, I had a cartoon drawn, you know, many years ago, mopping up the floor around a sink that's overflowing, but nobody's turning off the faucet. Mm. The problem just keeps coming back again. Or likewise, when you get put on medications to lower your cholesterol or your blood pressure or your blood sugar, and you say, doctor, how long do I have to take these? They generally say, forever. Like, mm -hmm. how long do I have to mop up the floor? Like, forever. Well, why don't we just turn off the faucet? And the faucet, the cause, more often than not, are the lifestyle choices that we make each day. And so that I began doing a series of studies that showed for the first time that even severe heart disease could often begin to reverse when people made these changes and much more quickly than we had once realized. And Dr. DeBakey was a bit of a tyrant, you know, he's very old school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he'd say like, what year are you, son? I'd say, I'm, you know, starting my third year. He goes, well, damn, it's going to be so much harder to bust you out of here, you know, with all these weird ideas you have and because uh, you made it this far. And then he called me actually just a few years ago. I hadn't heard from him in decades. And he said, hey, Dean, this is Mike DeBakey. And I recognized his voice. He had a very distinctive Louisiana accent. Mm -hmm. And I said, to what do I owe this honor? He said, well, remember I used to give you those weird ideas that I used to give you a hard time about when you were my medical student? I said, oh, yeah, I remember very well. He goes, that's what's kept me alive all these years. And I just wanted to let you know. Wow. I'm 99 years old. I'll probably be dying yes. soon. And I just wanted to let you know that I probably wouldn't have made it this far without doing these things. And my wife wow. interested in your work and blah, blah, blah. So if you live long enough, you just never know. Yes. Anyway. So I started with doing a pilot study. I took a year off between my second and third years of medical school. This was in 1977, you know, 44 years ago. And they got better. And they not only felt better, but they were better in ways we could actually measure. Their chest pain went away in 80% of the patients in just a month. The blood flow of their heart improved. And that was thought to be impossible at the time. In fact, everything we've done since then was thought impossible. And that, to me, is part of the value of doing good science properly done with the best investigators and published in the leading peer-reviewed journals can redefine what's possible. And by doing so can give millions of people new hope and new choices by saying, you know, if you're willing to make big enough changes, there's a good chance you can not only slow down the rate at which you get worse, which was thought at the time the best you could do, but actually get better and better instead of worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And so in a series of randomized trials over that time, we were able to prove that. And then we found that these same lifestyle changes that could reverse heart disease could reverse type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, obesity. We did the first randomized trial with the chair of urology at UCSF and at Memorial Sun Kettering Cancer Center. And we found that these same lifestyle changes could stop or reverse the progression of early stage prostate cancer in men and probably by extension, early stage breast cancer in women. We did a study with Craig Venter, who was the first to decode the human genome 
and found that these same lifestyle changes, when you change your lifestyle, it changes your genes, turns on the good genes, turns off the bad genes. Hundred Over 500 genes in just three months. Wow. We did a study with Dr. Elizabeth Blackburn, who got the Nobel Prize for discovering telomeres, which are the ends of our chromosomes that regulate how long we live. They're like the plastic tips on the ends of a shoelace that uh, keep your shoelace from unraveling. They essentially keep our DNA from unraveling. They preserve its structure. And over time, as they replicate, the DNA, the, the telomeres get shorter and shorter. And as our telomeres get shorter, our lives get shorter, and the risk of so many different diseases goes up proportionate to that. She had done studies with Alyssa Eppel that showed that bad things make your telomeres get shorter faster. You know, chronic stress, smoking cigarettes, you know, being sedentary, et cetera. Uh, eating junk food. So I, I, we met one day and I said, you know, if bad things make your telomeres shorter, maybe good things make them longer. And we sound sure enough for the first time that we could actually lengthen telomeres by making these same lifestyle changes. And the Lancet editors, when this was published, sent out a press release calling it the first study showing that lifestyle changes can reverse aging at a cellular level. So the more diseases we study, the more scientific evidence we have to show just how powerful these changes are and how quickly we can get better. You know, it's interesting. And also, I like to point out, because, you know, sometimes also, and one of the most amazing things about going to your retreat was seeing things firsthand. It was the first time ever, you know, I've been to a lot of medical conferences, you know, where doctors present and papers, but I, you know, I kept notes from that program 25 years ago. And I'll never forget, there was a man named Werner, who I'm sure you remember quite well, I who do. got up and had his first heart attack at 60, 65 years old. He was not overweight. He had elevated cholesterol. But he was, as you described, and he described it himself, which was hearing from the patient, the classic type A personality. And he would get angry and mad at everything. And he got to the point where, I remember, you know, he talked about he couldn't cross the street if the light was changing, like from green to yellow without having chest pain. And I want to ask you this question, because I know when I saw you at that retreat back in the day, you know, I mean, I went out there thinking, oh, God, the vegetarian diet, that's the key. That's the secret. And I think you quietly said either to the group or maybe you pulled me aside and you said, you know, Dean, it's actually people don't realize it. It's it's these social issues. So I wanted to ask you, just out of curiosity, too, were you influenced by two other cardiologists like uh, Meyer Friedman and Rosenberg, you know, who originally wrote about type A personality? Did that form or help give you some ideas for your lifestyle program? Well, Friedman and Roseman came up with what they call type A behavior, which was, you know, people who talk fast and multitask and, and so on, uh, who, don't, who drive fast, have a higher risk of heart disease. And the good news is, since I do all those things, um, <laughs> but that, those are not risk <laughs> There was one, one aspect of type A behavior that turned out to be the, the culprit, which is chronic hostility and anger, yeah. which Werner also talked about at that retreat. Yes, He was a very angry guy. And, you know, it's the one emotion that's been consistently linked with heart disease. Fortunately, you can multitask, you can talk quickly, you can accomplish a lot. You know, people used to think, well, I'm going to have to choose between being a hard driving type A, get a lot done kind of person or being mellow, sit under a tree, you know, and not do much and watch your life go by. That's a false choice. You can actually accomplish even more when you're more centered and, and healthy and peaceful. One of the things that the Undo It book is about is how dynamic and how quickly people can get better. I want to just play a short video of a guy who is an internal medicine doctor himself, who had a massive heart attack to the point where his heart was pumping so poorly. Normally, your heart should pump 50 to 60% of the blood that's in it with each beat, sometimes even more. His was like 11 to 15%. It was barely pumping. Mm-hmm. And he was told that the only thing that could save his life was a heart transplant, a new heart. And so while waiting for a donor, he went through 
our reversing heart disease program at UCLA to get in better shape for the surgery. And his heart improved so much during that nine weeks, he didn't need a heart transplant. So like, what's the more radical intervention? You know, a heart transplant or eat well, move more, stress less, love more. You know, one of the biggest obstacles that I find over the years is that People think, you know, diet and lifestyle, that's kind of boring. How powerful could that be? It's got to be a new drug, a new laser, a new surgical procedure, something really high-tech and expensive to be powerful. And I think our unique contribution has been to use these very high-tech, expensive, state-of-the-art scientific measures to prove how powerful these very simple and low-tech and low-cost interventions can be. But to put a human face on this, I'm just going to share my screen. Sure. Wow. Very exciting. It's only about a minute and a half long, but uh, it's worth seeing. Let me go ahead and play this. This would be great for our viewers. The situation I'm describing here is of an internal medicine doctor who started a new chapter in his life with his wife, moving to Lake Arrowhead, having just opened uh, a private practice office after all of our kids went to college and we could relocate. And just as this was ramping up, he had a horrible car accident which precipitated a heart attack that dropped my cardiac functioning down to basically uh, 11 uh, to 13 or 14, 15% of what it should have been, which resulted in intractable chest pain, angina, trouble breathing, inability to walk from room to room, go upstairs without being carried. I was offered a heart transplant as the only way to stay alive. And at the 11th hour, I entered the Ornish program, which provided me with an entire paradigm shift with respect to stress management, exercise, diet, nutrition, and despite not believing it myself and having other physicians who didn't believe in it either, it uh, worked beyond my wildest dreams. I'm now able to exercise moderately. I can work full-time. I can live at 6,000 feet, and uh, our quality of life is actually better than it was before. I'll even let him take my lipstick off. That's why I love doing this work. It's uh, so many thousands and thousands of stories like this, where we can take people who are suffering and use that as a doorway for really transforming their lives. Because, you know, change is hard. But if you're hurting enough, the idea of change becomes more appealing. And because these underlying biological mechanisms are so dynamic, most people feel so much better so quickly when they make these changes. Their chest pain goes away. For someone like him who had to literally be carried up to his room, who was, couldn't walk more than a few steps without getting chest pain. He couldn't make love with his spouse or play with his kids or go back to work. And now he's able to do all those things. Then they say, then they say things like, oh, I get it now. You know, I like eating cheeseburgers, but not that much because what I gain is so much more than what I give up. It's not about just preventing something bad from happening years down the road. It's about feeling better quickly. Because again, these biological mechanisms, you get better quickly and you get worse quickly. And what you gain is more than, if what you gain is more than what you give up, then it makes it sustainable. No. Now, the, the Undo It book, um, which just came out in paperback, puts forth this new unifying theory that why is it that these same lifestyle changes can reverse so many different diseases? You know, I was trained, like all doctors, to view heart disease and diabetes and prostate cancer and high cholesterol, high blood pressure, et cetera, as being different diseases, different diagnoses, and different treatments. But what I've come to see over the last 44 years of seeing how it was not like there was one set of diet and lifestyle programs for heart disease, a different one for diabetes, a different for this or that. It was the same for all of them. And with this, all this interest in personalized medicine, why is it that these same lifestyle changes have such far-reaching applications and, and implications? And I realized that the reason why these 
same lifestyle changes affect so many different diseases and that the diseases really aren't so different from each other, that they all share the same underlying biological mechanisms, things like chronic inflammation, oxidative stress, changes in the microbiome and telomeres and gene expression and angiogenesis and immune function and overstimulation of the sympathetic nervous system and so on. And each one of these mechanisms in turn is directly influenced by what we eat, how we respond to stress, how much exercise we get and how much love and support we have. And the more diseases we study, the more evidence we have of that. And so that it, it helps explain why the same patient will often have what we call comorbidities. They'll have heart disease and type 2 diabetes and be overweight and high cholesterol, high blood pressure, et cetera, or entire countries. You know, 50, 60 years ago in much of Asia, heart disease was as rare as malaria is here. And yet when they started to eat like us and live like us, then all too often they, they die like us. And so it really radically simplifies what we can tell people. And the book starts with one of my favorite quotes, which is from Albert Einstein, who says that if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. And so we try to take all these decades of research and all understanding all the complexity of it and reduce it down to its essence. You know, eat well, a whole foods plant-based diet that's low in fat and sugar, move more, you know, moderate exercise, walking a half an hour a day, for example, stress less, meditation and other yoga-based stress management techniques, and love more. Spend more time with your friends and family. We have support groups to try to create a place that feels safe enough for people to do this. Can I ask you about the diet? I, this is actually a really important thing, and I, I know our listeners are very interested in this. Now, I've had on the podcast in the past, as I think I mentioned right before we went on, Barry Sears, who's the Zone Diet. I've had on Walter Longo, who's at USC, who's done a lot of work on you know longevity. And, you know, again, when I went out to you in 1994, the vegetarian diet and what you presented was groundbreaking and got a lot of people excited. And then there was obviously these competing things, Atkins, the paleo diet, David Perlmutter, grain brain, all that stuff too. Help us understand, because there are a lot of different societies where people believe they eat healthy, but you know, again, I remember even when I went to your retreat, I mean, you used to say that, you know, like basically rice and beans is a, is a perfect combination of protein and carbs. Has anything changed in all of these years, the way you view the vegetarian diet? And is it the only way or is it just for heart patients? I mean, I'd just like to get your view. I mean, you're such an expert on this area. And obviously you've taken some heat over the years as other diets got more promoted. And as you just mentioned to me also before we went on, you said your diet was just named again, I think for the second time in a row, the number one heart diet by the American Cardiology Association. So can no, you- It was actually US News and World Report. US World Report. Rates hospitals and clinics also rates diets every year. And for, okay. for the 11th year since 2011, when they started rating diets, they announced that what they call the Ornish diet is number one for heart health. This is for tw all for 2022, for the 11th year now, since they've been doing it since 2011. So, you know, I think that there are a lot of people out there who say things, but what distinguishes our work from others is that we actually have 44 years of science proving that these things work. You know, I debated Dr. Atkins a number of times before he died and, you know, he ended up dying of heart failure. You know, it's, I'd love to be able to tell people that pork rinds and bacon and sausage are health foods, but they're not. It doesn't mean, <laughs> okay. you them, but don't, don't kid yourself. Now, the reason why, what all of these diets have in common that's true is that most Americans eat way too many refined carbs, sugar, white flour, white rice, things like that, concentrated sweeteners. And we all agree that when you eat a lot of sugar, that's not a good thing for you. Sugar promotes inflammation. Sugar causes your blood sugar to spike. Your body makes insulin to bring it back down. The insulin lowers your blood sugar, but also has accelerates the rate at which your arteries clog up and so on. 
Right. So we all agree that people eat too many refined carbs. It's what you substitute them with. And if you substitute them with animal protein and, and pork rinds and sausage and things like that, it's not healthy. There are so many studies that have shown that red meat, for example, increases significantly your risk of premature death from all causes, from heart disease, from diabetes, from prostate, breast, colon cancer, autoimmune diseases, and so on. What you want to replace the bad carbs with are good carbs, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, soy products in their natural forms. They're high in the, in the things that there, there are hundreds of thousands of substances in fruits and vegetables that have anti-cancer, anti-heart disease, right. and anti-aging properties. So it's right. not just avoiding things that are bad for you. It's actually including things that are good for you. And a recent example of that, there was a study that came out just a month ago where they looked at almost 3,000 frontline healthcare workers who are exposed to COVID-19 every day because they're taking care of patients who've got it. And this is in six countries, including the US. And what they found was that those eating a plant-based diet, similar to what I recommend, were 73% less likely to develop moderate to severe illness. But those following the low carbohydrate, high animal protein, you know, Atkins, paleo, keto, whatever, were actually 400% more likely to get moderate to severe. Where was this published? I, I had not heard anything like this. Wow, this, this sounds... Is a, a journal called Nutrition. I'll get the citation Appreciate for it. Appreciate it. Yes, please. Actually, wow. I, can give, I can give you the citation right now. It was in a, and it was in the British Medical Journal, Nutrition Prevention and Health. Wow. Earlier, about a month or so ago. Yeah, because people are asking, obviously, all the time with COVID. I mean, that's obviously in the front and center of so many people's minds. Yeah, and there was another study that came out at Harvard, Walter Willett's group, 600,000 healthcare professionals, and they found a 43% lower incidence of severe COVID in people who ate a plant-based diet. It's just one of many examples of showing what a powerful difference these simple changes can make in people. Dr. Ornish, when you say also plant-based, I just want to be clear. Is it vegan? Is it vegetarian? Can it have some fish in it? You know, which I know obviously makes it pescatarian, but what, just so we can define for the listeners a little bit. I mean, again, if you're not a cardiac patient, I mean, if you are a cardiac patient, it sounds like you should be extremely strict. But what about a, a 20 or 30 year old who wants to stay healthy? What do you suggest if they were to call you up and ask you? If you're trying to reverse disease, which is what the Undo It book is about, Mm-hmm. That's the pound of cure. You really, the reason we were the first to show that we could reverse all these different conditions is that it's hard. You have to make really big changes to do that. Moderate changes, you know, may go far enough to help prevent disease, ounce of prevention, if you will, but they generally don't go far enough to reverse it. That's why the moderate changes that people were put on for heart disease, you know, less red meat, more fish and chicken, take the skin off the chicken, four eggs a week, and so on, only slow down the rate at which your arteries get clogged. They don't stop or reverse it. But if you make bigger changes, it does. Now, if you're just otherwise healthy, you don't have to, you know, it's really up to you. The more you change, the more you improve at any age. It's not Mm. all or nothing. Mm. You know, if you indulge yourself one day, eat healthier the next. If you don't have time to meditate for an hour, do it for a minute. If you don't have time to exercise one day, do a little more the next. There's no diet that you're on, so you don't have to feel like you're, you know, failing if you eat certain food. But overall, because these biological mechanisms are so dynamic, when you make changes, and especially if you make big changes all at once, and especially if you change not only your diet, but these other aspects at the same time, most people find they feel so much better so quickly. It reframes the reason for making these changes from fear of dying, which is not sustainable, to joy of living. Joy and pleasure and love and feeling good really are sustainable. There's a wonderful documentary that came out a couple of years ago called The Game Changers that Louis Saihoyos did with James Cameron, you know, the legendary uh, mm-hmm. director of uh, Terminator and Titanic. And <laughs> great, great flicks. And he became a vegan, James Cameron 
because he's an explorer as well as a filmmaker. Right. That's right. Yeah. And he learned that more global warming is caused by livestock consumption than all forms of transportation combined. And so he went on a vegan diet to help the environment. And he felt so much better. He's in his you know mid to late 60s now. He's actually making avatars two, three, and four at the same time now. He's got so much energy. Wow. Anyway, How do you feel changer, about wheat though? Let, also? let, let me just finish the thought yeah, here. Sure. So, but the Game Changers film follows elite athletes and found that when they went on a plant-based, a vegan diet, mm. or a closer, a vegetarian diet, right. that they upped their game, that they became the mixed martial artist national champion. The Tennessee Titans, the whole football team went on that diet. They became national wow. NFL champions. Nazi Bausch, at the age of almost 40, got an Olympic medal in, in bicycling. And there's a great scene in there where they have these three guys who are in their mid-20s. And it turns out guys have erections at night when they sleep. It's a normal function. And they gave these three guys a single meat-based meal, and then they measured the frequency and hardness of erections they had when they slept. They did it again the next night with a single plant-based meal, and they found in all three guys, they had three to 500% more frequent erections and 10 to 15% harder erections after a single plant-based meal than a meat-based meal because your blood flow improves so much through wow. endothelial function and through changes mm. in nitric oxide and other things like that. Your heart also gets more blood, but for you know, more guys are more concerned about it. Yeah, that, that, I think the Cialis uh, guys that make Cialis are not going to be too happy with that. <laughs> no, well, you know, 40% of guys in their 40s are, have erectile dysfunction, 50% in their yeah. 50s, 60% in their 60s. Yeah. In fact, the film crew went on a plant-based diet after they, they shot that scene. <laughs> well, you're, yeah, you're definitely the, you know, you're, you're very good at promoting... <laughs> The health. Turns so, out that the Game Changers is now the number one most downloaded uh, documentary in, in iTunes. Oh, really? I have to see that. Wow. Uh, I highly recommend um, it. I, I'm sorry, I, I did I interrupt you, but I, what, I did want to ask you, because people get hungry when they're on. I mean, I was on the vegetarian diet for about five, six years, and I'm kind of heading back to it again as I get older. But you get hungry. And I remember back in the day, too, I was eating probably a lot of bread. So how do you feel about wheat? I mean, is it is it the devil as, you know, some of these, if you had to, you know, I mean, people get hungry on the vegetarian diet. Well, I read a book years ago called Eat More, Weigh Less, which found, yes. because in our studies, we found the average person lost 24 pounds in the first year right. without limiting the amount of food they ate. They could mm. eat, they were actually eating more food and more frequently, and they still lost weight because fat has nine calories per gram and protein carbs have only four. So if you, when you eat less fat, you're eating less, you're even with the same volume of food, you're getting food that's less dense in calories. You're getting with the same amount of food, you're eating fewer calories. So you can eat whenever you're hungry, you need to, you're full and you can still lose weight and keep it off. And you don't just keep losing weight. You come down to somewhere mm -hmm. near your ideal body weight. Now to answer your question about weed and carbs like that, as I mentioned, they're good carbs and bad carbs. A whole wheat flour, brown rice are good carbs because the fiber and the bran fill you up before you get too many calories. That's one of the reasons why you can eat is, you know, whenever you're hungry until you're full and still lose weight. Right. But the fiber and the bran also slow the rate of absorption from your gut into your blood. So your blood sugar goes up slowly, it never gets very high, and it goes down slowly. If you remove the fiber in the bran, you go from whole wheat flour to white flour, from brown rice to white rice, now you've turned a good carb into a bad carb because now, because you don't have the fiber, it gets absorbed very quickly, your blood sugar spikes, 
your pancreas makes insulin to bring it back down, it generally goes down even below where you started. It's like a pendulum. If you pull it to one side, it doesn't just stop in the middle. It goes to the other. So it goes too high, then it goes too low. You get that low mm. blood sugar, carbohydrate craving feeling. And mm. so it's kind of an addictive cycle. Mm-hmm. And the insulin accelerates the conversion of calories into fat and it causes inflammation, which causes you to be more likely to build up plaque in your arteries. But again, it doesn't mean you stop eating carbs. What you want to eat are the good carbs, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, soy products in their natural form, give you the best of the both worlds. What about the nuts? And I I know, and also just there's that whole range. Again, my listeners are very interested to hear all this stuff. The nuts, which we hear walnuts and even macadamia nuts are high in omega-3s. But again, some people really promote the whole thing with the coconut oil. And I know I think you probably don't, but I want to hear what your thoughts are. Because, you know, people again too hear that fats are good for us in certain proportions. Well, some fats are good. As you mentioned, my mentor when I was at Harvard, Alexander Leaf, did the pioneering work on fish oils, showing that omega-3 fatty acids have a number of beneficial effects. But the fish don't make the fish oils. The fish actually get it from eating algae. And so you can take algae-based omega-3s, which give you the omega-3s without the other stuff. Mm. But there are a number of studies showing that nuts, not huge amounts of nuts, but just small, a handful of nuts every day actually reduce the risk of a number of different conditions, even though they're high in fat. Because nuts really are seeds. They're a germination. Mm. You know, life bursts forth from nuts. Although we can't really measure that in science, there's a germinative quality in in nuts that I think has a lot of health-giving benefits. But on the other hand, coconut and coconut oil is really high in saturated fat. And saturated fat is really not good for you. And so if you're going to be eating fats, you want to be eating fats that are you know, more plant-based, you know, mm-hmm. canola oil or olive oil or olive things oil. like that. But even then, only in moderation because they're so dense in calories. You know, one tablespoon of any oil, oils are 100% fat, all oils. One tablespoon of any oil has about 140 calories because it's nine calories per gram. And so people think, oh, I'm going to pour all oil on my salad and it's going to be so good for me. And they get tons of calories that they could be avoiding otherwise. Mm. So most people find it actually is good that they get hungry earlier if they're eating a lower fat diet because they can eat more food and more frequently and still either maintain or Mm. lose weight if they need to. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to ask you about too, again, was one of the eye-opening things when I went to your retreat back in 1994 and over the years have seen it. I actually tried to do a mini program like yours when I came back. I was so excited. And my patients still to this day tell me, they go, why don't you do that program more? It was was so time intensive. But with the whole idea of group support, and I think you had David Spiegel come speak at one of your retreats. I don't know if I listened to it on a recording or not, but it was really outstanding what he found, you know, with his breast cancer patients. So just out of curiosity, what got you to think that group support, and I'm sure in, in Undo It, you mentioned that too, is so important, you know, to help people with their health. I mean, most people think, oh, group support, everybody just sits there and complains about their problems. I don't want to go to that type of thing, but yet it can be so life-changing. Yeah, well, people, when they start our program, they think, okay, eat well, I get that. Move more, exercise, everybody knows it's good for you. Stress less, well, okay, that's kind of weird, but okay, meditation, I'll do that too. Love more, what is that about? You know, it's like, is this kind of your California? Mm -hmm. You you live in California. It's all easy stuff. (laughs) Touchy feeling, whatever. I used to get defensive and say, no, this is not a touchy feeling program. This is a hard science based program. Look at our quantitative arteriograms and cardiac positron emission tomography scans and radionuclide ventriculography and blah, blah, blah. And then one day I said, you know what? It is a touchy-feely program. That's what makes it work as well as it does because we are touchy-feely creatures. We're creatures of community. That's how we've survived as a species all these years is by learning how to take care of each other. Mm -hmm. And study after study have shown, many of which I cite in in the new book, 
and undo it is that people who are lonely and depressed and isolated are three to 10 times more likely to get sick and die prematurely than those who have a sense of love and connection and community. And I don't know anything in medicine that has that powerful an impact, in part because you're more likely to abuse yourself. In other words, I've asked people in our studies, you know, why do you smoke and why do you overeat and drink too much and work too hard and abuse opioids and play too many video games? These behaviors seem so maladaptive to me. And they look at me, and they go, they're not maladaptive. They're very adaptive. You don't have a clue, Dean. This is what helps us get through the day. You know, the real epidemic isn't just COVID or heart disease or diabetes. It's loneliness and depression and isolation with a breakdown of the social networks that used to give people a sense of love and connection and community. You know, 50 years ago, people had an extended family they saw regularly. They had a job that felt secure. They had a church or a synagogue or a mosque they went to regularly. They had a job that they'd been at for 10 years or more. And many people today have none of those things. And what happens when you grow up in a family with an extended family or a neighborhood with two or three generations of people is that they know you. They don't just know your bio sketch or your you know, your Facebook profile, they know where you messed up. They know when, in my case, when I was depressed and suicidal or someone might've gotten busted or, you know, whatever, they know your dark side and you know that they know, and you know that, and they know that you know that they know, and they're still there for you. And there's just something very primal and healing about being seen in, in all of yourself, you know, warts and all. And, and James Cameron in, in Avatar, he said, you know, I see you, you know, it's, uh, which is really an African proverb. But one of the studies that I cite in the in the book is the more time you spend on Facebook, the more depressed you are because it's not an authentic intimacy. It's like if everybody just shows their best life, you know, here I am with my front of the Eiffel Tower. Here I am, you know, with my awesome kids. It looks like everybody has this perfect life, but right, you, right. So our support groups are really designed to recreate a, an authentic sense of intimacy. Anything that creates that intimacy is healing. And so where people can feel safe and let down their emotional defenses and talk about what's really going on in their lives. And that's so important. I mean, as you mentioned, David Spiegel did a study with women at Stanford who had metastatic breast cancer. They had the same, they divided randomly into two groups. One group had the they both groups had the same chemo and yeah, radiation stage four breast treatment. cancer. Yeah, mm-hmm. but one group, in addition, had the support group that I'm talking about, just once a week for a right. year. Right. And five years later, that group of women lived twice as long. Now, a skeptic might say, "Oh, please give me a break. Talking about my feelings can help me live longer if I've got stage four breast cancer." But they do because anything that brings us together is really healing. Even the word healing comes from the root to make whole, and yoga is from the Sanskrit to yoke, to unite, union. These are really old ideas that we're rediscovering. I want just to ask because it's so important that we're going through COVID and everything today. Can this idea of group support be done virtually? Virtually. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I, let, me, it's, yeah. let me take a moment to answer sure. that because, yeah. you know, we're, we're now in the midst of doing the first randomized trial to see if we can stop or reverse the progression of men and women who have early Alzheimer's disease. I think we're at a place mm-hmm. with Alzheimer's very reminiscent of where we were with heart disease. And by the way, if anyone's listening to this and they, have or know someone who has early stage Alzheimer's, go to our website, which is just ornish.com and let us know if you're interested in in joining. We're still recruiting people for it. But I think we're at a place with Alzheimer's very similar to where we were with heart disease. The less intensive interventions slow the rate of progression into dementia. Perhaps a more intensive intervention might stop or reverse it. So stay tuned. We'll let you know. But we were meeting with the people in person and, you know, Medicare created a new benefit category uh, 11 years ago to cover my reversing heart disease program. And so we've been training with share care hospitals and clinics and physician groups around the country. So we're reducing that same model with the Alzheimer's patients and meeting with them several times a week in person. But when COVID hit, we could no longer do that. So we started doing it all by Zoom. 
Right. And to my great surprise, if anything good came out of COVID, it was learning that, because I never would have done this otherwise, that we, it worked just as well by doing it by Zoom as when we met with people in person. So now through ShareCare, we're, and, and just a few weeks ago, Medicare agreed to cover my reversing heart disease program when done wow. by Zoom wow. at the same rate as when it's done in hospitals and clinics. <laughs> it's amazing. But now we can reach people wherever they live. They don't have to live within driving distance of a hospital or a clinic. They can live in rural areas. We can help reduce health inequities and health disparities and so on. And so it's, it's a really exciting time to be able to be doing this. Wow. Yeah, that was just going to lead me to my final question. I was like, what are you excited about in the future of whether it's holistic medicine or regular medicine? I mean, there's so many things going on. What do, what do you see down the line the next five or 10 years? Anything that really gets you excited? Well, I hope that our Alzheimer's study will work. Mm-hmm. And if it does, oh we gosh. Medicare will uncover that. We're, yeah. For share care, we're now training virtually people throughout the country in our reversing heart disease program. And we're getting bigger changes in lifestyle, better clinical outcomes, bigger cost savings, better adherence than anyone's ever shown. And we're doing that in a way that's really sustainable. If we can show that Alzheimer's can be improved, then hopefully we'll be able to do the same program. We'll have an infrastructure in place already to be able to do that with Alzheimer's. We don't know yet, but we're hopeful and we'll find out. And because of this unifying theory, because it's the same program for all these different conditions, we can also work with people who have heart disease, type 2 diabetes, high blood Mm. pressure, high cholesterol, perhaps Alzheimer's, prostate cancer, hopefully breast cancer. It's the same program. And now that we can do it virtually, then we're limited only by our imaginations. And, And so I love doing this work because it enables us to work with people when they're feeling a sense of hopelessness and disempowerment. And one of the, the reasons why I spent so much time in my life doing research is that properly done, you know, with the best collaborators, the most respected people published in the leading peer-reviewed journals can redefine what's possible as we've done over right. and over in our studies. And by doing so, we can give millions of people and empower them with new hope and new choices. I don't know anything better than that. Um, that's amazing. Well, it has been such an honor for me and I hope for all my listeners. I mean, Dr. Dean Orch has had a tremendous influence on my life and I know he has helped thousands of patients with his books because I saw it when they even came to the, the retreat, holding the book in their hand, how, you know, they were back recovering from heart disease and doing better than ever. I wish you so much success in your book that's coming out on January 4th, Undo It. It's going to be in paperback. Dr. Ornish mentioned places you could reach him if you have any further interest in any of his research programs. So again, Dr. Dean, thank you so much. Thank you. Just go to Ornish.com. And Dean, thank you so much for the chance to be of service. I really appreciate it. Okay. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Smartest Doctor in the Room with host Dr. Dean Mitchell. You can continue this conversation on Instagram at Dean Mitchell MD, Facebook at Mitchell Medical Group, or at deanmitchellmd.com.